were here this morning, am I correct? All right. Uh, so most of you saw our video. And I said, come back tonight because we'll, we'll be able to share our testimony, our call, our burden. And so I'm just going to start off right there with my, my personal testimony. Uh, I was born to a Christian family. Uh, my dad's been here. He's been a preacher for my entire life. And so I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, it was about six years old when I got saved. And you know, my dad was preaching on Luke 16, 19 through 31, about the rich man in hell and all the torments that burn forever. And uh, I had heard this message many times, I was, to the point where I was actually quoting it with him. But then he said something that he hadn't usually said before. He said, at the end of the sermon, he said, if you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, these torments are for you. And it was kind of like he was pointing right at me. And so it was like, oh, wow. I haven't received Christ as my Savior. So these torments, they are for me. And so that night I said, all right, I'm going to go forward. Uh, my mom took me back and showed me that there is an escape from the torments that burn forever. And it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ can we escape the blood, uh, the torments. So I was about six years old, so that was about 2000, 2002. Yeah, six years old in 2002. Well, fast forward about six years. In 2008, I was able to, uh, uh, we did a meeting with evangelist Ron Comfort, and one of those meetings, I said, all right, God, I'm going to give you my life. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'll do it. And so I, I surrendered to, to go into full-time Christian service. Well, for the next four years, God used missionaries on deputation and furlough to uh, kind of get me thinking, hey, what about missions? And in 2012, uh, finally, a missionary from Japan came through. And it's kind of like God was saying, hey, would you surrender to go to Japan? And for the first time in those four years, I said, no. And my rationale was, God, you've done this for the last four years. A missionary comes through from Italy, you'd ask, would you surrender to go to Italy? From Ireland, you'd ask, would I surrender to go to Ireland? So if this is just going to be like all those other missionaries, no, I'm not going to surrender. Oh, that was strike one, because I was able to go to the Wilds Christian Camp for the first week of summer, and my counselor just so happened to be a missionary's kid from Japan. And again, it was like God was saying, will you surrender to go to Japan? And again, I told God, you've had missionary's kids impact my life. I played soccer with some missionary kids from uh, from Africa, and uh, my violin mates were missionaries' kids from Hong Kong and Taiwan. So if this is just going to be like all those other people, no, I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to do it. That was strike two. Halfway through the summer, that missionary came through again. And again, God was pushing Japan. And again, I told God, no. Well, finally, I went back to the wilds for the last week of teen camp. And God got a hold of my heart saying, Caleb, you know exactly what I want you to do and where I want you to go, but you're being too stubborn and selfish to surrender. You don't have any excuses. So I said, fine. If this is really what you want me to do, I'll go to Japan. And since then, God was just like, all right, you surrendered. I'm going to make this undeniable. I went to a Bible college in Ambassador Baptist College where I met my beautiful wife, Kristen. Uh, and I introduced myself. Hi, my name is Caleb Kahiwat. I'm a missions major. I'm going to Japan. And part of uh, our missions degree, uh, before we graduate, we had to do an internship with a missionary on the field. Well, I'm planning on going to Japan, so it only was fitting I go to Japan. Uh, but because we weren't married yet, she was also a missions major, because we weren't married yet, the school wouldn't let us go to the same place. So we went to two totally different parts of Japan. 
I went to Aomori, uh, Aomori, Aomori, Japan. It's kind of like New York, New York. Uh, but I was able to spend 10 weeks there. And halfway through that, that summer, I was able to spend uh, about an hour and a half conversation with the Japanese man. Uh, completely unsaved. Uh, I was trying to witness to him. He was just giving me, hey, this is what we believe. This is what us Japanese people believe. And talking with him, he would say stuff like, oh, we were in the middle of a park when we had this conversation, and he would say something like, you see this park and how it is so clean and so like well put and like there's not a blade of grass out of place and there's no trash anywhere. You know why it's like this? Because there could be a spirit in this park. And because there could be a spirit in this park, we will take care of it because we don't want to offend the spirit. You see the the uh, that breeze that just went by? That could be a spirit. So we will honor that spirit. And he just kept going, uh, bringing up different things, uh, uh, the church building, they will take so good care of this building because there could be a spirit of this building, the spirit of this church. They don't want to offend the spirits. That piano could have a spirit. And so they will take care of it. They will make sure it's clean, it's polished, it's in tune, very well tuned. Because they don't want to offend the spirit of that piano. And I came back from that conversation going, Lord, How? How do you want me to to do this? I mean, I'm going to Bible college to preach the gospel. I know the Romans road. I know the Isaiah's road. How does that fit into this mentality? How how do I <laughs> how? And I love God's providence because the very next day in my devotions, I read Isaiah. Isaiah I was in Isaiah, reading chapter 45. And when I got to verse 6, it says, That they may know from the rising of the sun, Japan is known as the land of the rising sun, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is none else. And when I read that verse, God stopped me and said, Hey, you want to know how? You want to know why? This is why. That they may know. You just had a conversation with a Japanese man where they worship millions and millions of spirits and ancestral worship as well. Where they will accept all different religions with a just-in-case mentality. Where they walk on spiritual eggshells not to offend the spirits and so they will worship them. You want to know why I want you to go to these people? That they may know that there's none besides me. I am the Lord, there's none else. And that was the proverbial nail in the coffin. It was like, I can't not go now. I have to come back. I can't, I can't wait to start deputation. I can't wait to get on the field. I I, this is now present day. I cannot wait to go to Japan, or go back to Japan, rather. But that was my side of the story. What I didn't know until we got back from Japan was when God was doing that in my life, God was doing the exact same thing in her life. And so we know without a shadow of a doubt that Japan is where God wants us to go and uh, where God wants us to minister. Um, my dad, when I, when I got back, so he's like, so why do you want to go to Japan? Now that you've been, why do you want to go back? And he was looking for me to answer one of one way, one specific way. He was like, was it the people? Was it the food? Was it the, was it the place? What was it? Why do you want to go back? And I told him that story. It's like, because God, that God, God called us there. God confirmed that in, in my heart, and God confirmed that in her heart. He's like, that's the answer I wanted to hear. I said, now you know what? You got to get there. And so right now we are currently uh, on deputation, uh, raising support to go to Japan. Uh, Japan is also speaks something totally different called Japanese. And someone did a study, I can't remember who, 
but they took some of the hardest, they took about 120 different languages and put an average on how long it takes for someone to become like completely fluent in that language, for the average person to be fluent. And Japanese, Mandarin, Cantonese, and I think Icelandic, it takes anywhere from 66 to 80 months to become fluent. It is one of the hardest languages to learn in the world. Uh, however, one of the reasons is because they have three different alphabets. English uses a 20, uh, was it 26 letter alphabet. Japan, uh, two of the alphabets are, are mirrored, so they're pretty much they're the same, just written differently. Uh, those each have about 80 to 85 different characters. So just those two alphabets alone, it's it's been fun to fun to learn. Uh, the third alphabet is called kanji. Sorry, those two alphabets that are mirrored are uh, hiragana and katakana. The third one is called kanji. Kanji we're not touching for a long time because that has over 22,000 characters. Uh, that's that's the alphabet that if you see on our flags looks like Chinese. Technically speaking, it was taken from Chinese, but it means something totally different than it means in Chinese. <laughs> I know that makes a lot of sense. But we're not touching that. There's been there's a missionary that she was with. He's been there for about 40, 44 years, uh, the men's cells. And every once in a while, he'll say, hey, I just learned a new kanji. 40 years in, uh, in the mission field in Japan, and he's still learning new kanji. So it is a lifelong endeavor to learn kanji. Um, we know, speaking-wise, we know uh, like very introductory Japanese. We haven't started to learn how to speak it for a sp specific reason. We could use something like Babel or a Rosetta Stone or something like that to to learn how to speak it, but on the recommendation of many mich Japanese missionaries, unless we are learning Japanese from someone who is in Japanese or someone that uh, lived in Jap uh, a Japanese person who knows how it's pronounced, um, the tendency is to end up with an American accent. So we could be saying, speaking really good, fluent Japanese, but with that American accent. And we were told that that American accent is a telltale sign that you're a tourist. And we don't want that moniker on us. Because in the Japanese eyes, if you're a tourist, you're just here for a couple, couple, couple days, couple weeks, couple months, and then you're gone. And we want them to know that we're here for the long haul. So we want to speak it as you speak it. So during our first term, when we first get over there, we will be going to language school, learning how to speak Japanese, uh, just getting our hands right into uh, Japanese uh, language learning. Also working with another veteran missionary. Uh, we are praying about working with uh, missionaries Tim and Kim Melton there in Nagoya, Japan. Now there was a study done recently that 54% of Japanese people live in three cities. The biggest is, of course, Tokyo. Uh, it is the largest mega city in the world with, uh, I think, 36 million people. Uh, the second largest would be uh, Osaka with, um, I think, 12 million people. And then the place that we're going to be is in Nagoya with about 9.8 million people. However, there is, if I was to guess, and I'm being, uh, I'm erring on the side of caution with this, there's probably about 12 to 15 Baptist churches in Nagoya, Japan. Uh, started by missionaries, taken over by national pastors, but 15 churches in a pop, in a city the size of 
I think a little bit bigger than Los Angeles. There's a, there's a huge need for missionaries. There's a huge need for church planters. So God has called us to be church planters in Nagoya. Um, at this time, if you have any questions, uh, there's probably something that I... Ah, let's go questions. Do you have any questions for us? Yes, ma'am. The cost of living, just to live, so no ministry funds, none, none of that, just to live. Um, just to live is about five, $5,000. Uh, let me put it this way. Just to rent a three-bedroom or well, it's two-bedroom, living room, kitchen, dining room, house, or uh, apartment varies between seventeen hundred to twenty three hundred, depending on where you live and what part of this city you you're staying in. Uh, that also depends on if they include utilities. Uh, so it varies between seventeen to twenty three hundred. That's just for living. That's not including groceries, which uh, milk is expensive. I think it's like five dollars a gallon or some something like that. So that's why it is so high. It's been equated to living in like Manhattan or uh, in New York City. So any other question? Yes, sir. Uh, we would like to be back in Japan uh, within the next two years. Uh, I would like to be in Japan tomorrow, but visas have been uh, across the board. The visa process has been arduous. People going to uh, Australia, Chile, they've been on hold for a long time. Japan is a little bit faster on that, but still it takes a while. Um, but we, we would love to be on, on the field as soon as possible, more realistic speaking, within the next year or two. Is, is the visa portion by far the, the biggest obstacle at this point, or is there several things you still need to take care of? Visa is one of the major obstacles, I should say. Um, we have just started deputation, so we're, we're not fully supported yet. Um, but with being full-time, we get more meetings, more support, so on and so forth. Um, so that's why I say within the next two years, we can be fully supported and be working on getting our visas within the next year or so. Uh, we are at 17%. 17% of what? 17% of eight, 8,000. That's including ministry funds for, say, printer ink or hymnals or other ministry related amenities. Yes. Uh, for a first term, that would be uh, between two and four years. We do. Uh, our mission board does require us to come back for our furlough. If we if we're there for two years, we come back for six months. If we're there for four years, we come back for a, a full year. That furlough would be to update churches, let them know that we're still alive, still 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 being missionaries in Japan. Update what's been going on in Japan, what we've learned, that sort of thing. Yes, sir. Pardon, could you repeat that? How are you viewed being an American, a natural American citizen over in Japan? How am I viewed as a natural American citizen in Japan? Do they like that? Are they most people against that? 
Because I'm not military, they're all for it. Uh, a while ago, something happened with the military, and so the I think it's the Marines got on the Japanese bad side. I don't know what all happened, but the military was in hot water. But since we're not, like, I, I reached out to other missionaries, just like, hey, are you guys affected by it? They're like, no, we're not military. They, they were, <laughs> they actually like us being there. So, civilian, so, so American civilian, they, they care less about it cool, if you will. Yes. Uh, as far, if you were military, they, they... More apprehensive. They're still American. They're a bit more forgiving if we do something that is culturally uncouth, if you will. But... Uh, being a natural, uh, naturally born American, they welcome, especially as a, a one of one of the big areas of uh, outreach is teaching English. Being an English speaking person, they welcome it. They get to practice on me. We get to teach it. Uh, it's. In most of the churches that teach English, there's been growth in the church. So that's more than likely what we would be doing as well as uh, starting up a church is also teaching English. Yes, sir? Are you going to be able to or need to do some sort of work for income over there? Or 100% funded? 100% funded and 100 So that... So that we don't become bivocational, um, and that's that's something that our board recommends because being a church planter is hard. Being a church planter in a foreign field that you are not from is even harder. And so they would prefer us to be fully f- supported, even fully plus just in case some churches drop off for whatever reason, um, stop supporting us, that we still have support. Yes. That's part of being uh, starting up a church is we want to train up a national pastor. So the, the Japanese church wouldn't be supporting us, they'd be supporting the national pastor. Yes, sir. Tell us, uh, you said this morning it was what, less than 8, I think in your video, less than 8% of everything outside of Buddhism and Hinduism. How how do they view that small little 8%? How do they view Christianity and their other communities? Uh, a wide variety will accept Christianity, uh, especially Jesus Christ, but as another spirit or high spirit to worship. Yes, but they will they'll put Jesus as a high spirit right next to Mohammed, right next to Joseph Smith, right next to Buddha, right next to continue on the religion. So they will still worship. They will still worship all the other religions as well as well as accepting Jesus Christ, but as another spirit to worship. Yes. Uh, the Japanese culture is centered around a lot of respect. Uh, they're very respectful, so even as a foreigner, uh, they, if they see me messing up and or totally lost, they will help me. But along the same lines, if I don't ask for help, they won't help. Because they feel like if they're... Uh, if, if they just offer the assistance without me asking for it, I am shamed. Or there's a little bit more shame on me, and they don't want to do that. So the, uh, there was a story. Uh, a missionary's wife uh, went to an onsen, but couldn't remember how to get out, how to use the door. And she was there for like 10 minutes just trying to figure out how to exit the building until some Japanese person came through and she's like, oh, that's how you do it. And so 
they but they just let her knowing that she was uh, foreign they didn't help her because she didn't ask so uh, along that same lines they are respectful they they have a very communal mind so like in, in the video they respect uh, harmony order and self-development when you combine all of those three it's for it everything is for the betterment of the community uh, so there's they will accept like another area of outreach would be a barbecue uh, a barbecue open to the community why for the betterment of the community if it's just for me and my if we have that american mentality or that western mentality of me my myself they don't want anything to do with it but if it's for the betterment of the the surrounding area for the rest of us hey let's do it i have not run into it so i don't know uh most One of our missions, one of our professors in college said, "One of the, sometimes the most spiritual answer you could possibly give is, uh -huh. <laughs> so I have not done my research on that yet, so I don't, I can't give an uh, accurate answer." Uh, well, the word for God would be kami. Uh, kami or uh, yeah, kami. K a m, is it I? Uh, Kami-sama, yeah. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus-sama. <laughs> so it, some you. When we learn, uh, we've learned. Oh wow, sorry, I finished that coffee this morning from this morning, and it just kicked in, so I apologize about that. Um, when we were doing our language learning and in Japan and we'd run across some words that was like oh that's coffee why it's kohi all right pancakes pancakey is some foreign words they don't have a japanese alternate so jesus <laughs> jesus sama uh, the sama at the end is like an honorific uh, sama is like a really high honorific so, Pastor Sama. <laughs> These are awesome questions, really putting me through the ringer. Any other questions? Oh, rickshaws. There's cars. There's lots, lots of cars. <clears throat> However, the main mode of transportation, especially inner city, is buses or a uh, train system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of travel is you ride a bike to the nearest train station and you take the train to the bus or you walk to the nearest train station you take the train to the closest train station to your exit and then you walk the rest of the way or take a taxi. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, so being in such a densely populated area, you know, confined in a way more confined space than something like LA. Mm -hmm. um, a, how, as far as building structure goes, what does it look for in a church? And then B, how, how does the government, does the government allow you to just start a church or? In answer to your first question, I don't know. I haven't been put in that situation to learn uh, learn that. In answer to your second question, let me understand your second question. Is it easy to just come in and start a church? Fairly, yeah. It's it's just like renting out a building, use it for this practice. Okay. 
Again, most spiritual answer. Uh. <laughs> uh, in some areas, you know, I, I haven't done that research into. I will. I can answer those questions after the first term because that's the whole purpose of the first term of, of being there. Learning the learning the language and also learning the culture involves how do you church in Japan. Uh, but I, in answer to your second question, I do know if there's an empty space that you can rent, you can rent a space and have church there. Uh, that's as far as I know. Whether there's other... I, I think you might have to have a religious permit, but that goes along with your visa, I, I think. I think not 100% sure on that, so don't quote me. Do they have church services, or, or do they have storefronts like this? There are church churches. Like the the entire building was built up for a church. Uh, other places, they rented out a building. They have the first floor. The second floor is other businesses. Uh, it really depends. It's much like the United States. Some have a church building. Some have a storefront that they have that's broken up with another place that has jobs. So, not that unfamiliar. <laughs> I love the food. I'm I'm a foodie. So the this the potluck this afternoon. I have to hold myself back or else I will overeat. Uh, but I, I love Japanese Japanese food. It is one of my top three favorite types of food. Um, Along with hot and cold, right? Hot and cold food. Oh, yeah. Hot, hot, cold, then Japanese. <laughs> but even some Japanese food is both hot yeah. and some cold. Uh, I remember the first meal I ever ate in Japan. I arrived at like 9 o'clock in the evening. And they said, have you eaten yet? And I said, no, I didn't. So they took me to a place. Uh, it's It was called a don place. Uh, and uh, I had a, a dish called gudon, which is uh, a rice bowl. Dons are rice bowls. And gudon is uh, beef that's cut up, marinated, uh, with like a spicy aioli and like a mayo. That was my best introduction to J Japanese food I could possibly have. She, on the other hand, had the pendulum swing. Uh, she ordered, uh, uh, it's called uh, chicken karage, which is like a, a crunchier version of a Chick-fil-A nugget. It's like, it's really good, but it's just like crunchy. Her, she went with a friend, and her friend, wait, did I, did I get it right? Her friend got uh, the fried squid. And so, but when they come out, they both look alike. And so they didn't know which ones was whose, and so the first thing she had was the fried Japanese squid, and she, she's okay letting other people eat it. But yeah, I love the food. I love I love seafood. I love ramen, tempura, uh, curry. Her favorite meal in in Japanese food is uh, rice curry. So, oh yeah, sorry, curry rice. It's uh, sweeter. I thought so too when I first heard cur uh, curry. But it's it's a sweeter curry. It's almost like a was it yellow curry, something like that. So it's it's actually pretty sweet, has vegetables in it, and she loves it. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, sir.
They dress pretty much exactly like we do. Uh, if in the video you saw I was wearing that uh, kimono, the black and white thing, uh, that is a festival garb. So during like holidays and uh, festivals, summer festivals, they'll wear the, you'll, you'll see people wearing the, those garbs. But other than that, come to church in the suit and tie. I can say they like modesty. So a lot of Japanese clothes is like very modest, very covering. Uh, the guys still wear shorts because it gets hot. Uh, but it is actually very modest. So don't walk outside in a bikini. I can say that for, in general, don't walk outside in a bikini, but really, they don't like to show a lot of skin that's not hands, face, so. Good question. All right, uh, if you have any more questions, we, we will be at the back of our table. You can ask us. I love talking about Japan. I can go for uh, much, much longer, but I, I do want to... Preach. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45. And for context, this uh, Isaiah 45 starts out, God is talking to uh, Cyrus. Uh, the per uh, let's see yeah Cyrus the Persian saying I'm going to use you I'm gonna have you come and take over my people but I want you to know that I'm I'm going to point it back to me and so we get to verse five it says I'm the Lord there is none else there's no God besides me I girded thee though thou hast not known me in verse number six, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is none else. See, you see, for Cyrus, it would be easy for him to say, I am, I am the general. I am the ruler. I'm taking over these people. It's all me. God was letting him know, no, 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 no. It's all me. I'm going to use you to do something great, something terrible against my people. But it's, it's all me. Verse 7 continues on talking about who God is. I form the light and create a darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. I, verse 12, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness. I will direct all of his ways. You see, God is saying, I have a plan for you. You, you may think that you're just taking over this people for your own country, but I'm going to use you. I'm going to do something through you. And is that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there's none besides me. I'm the Lord. I'm going to use you to point to me. And it continues all the way down to verse number 19. But once... Once it re you reach no verse number 20, the writer switches gears. God is no longer talking to Cyrus. He starts talking to his people. 
In verse 20 it says, Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together. Ye that are escaped of the nations, they have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image, and pray unto gods that cannot save. Tell ye, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together, who hath declared from... It, sorry. Let them take counsel together. Who hath declared it from ancient time? Or who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God besides, uh, beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. You see, God was talking to his people at this time saying, Hey, come to me. You, you who are oppressed, you who have been dispersed throughout the, the empires of the Babylonians and then the Persians, look unto me. You are in a foreign land. You have people around you that, that worship idols made out of wood and gods that, that cannot save. But you have something that they don't. Tell them, tell them about me. Bring them near. He's saying, bring them into yourselves. Let them see what you have that they don't. Let them be curious. It says, let them count, take counts together. Who have declared it from ancient times? There, there's a we have we have a Bible at the. At this point in time, the Israelites, they had stories passed down from ancient times. We have a Bible that we can show people, hey, there's something different. It says, who hath told it from that time? Where did all this come from? Where did creation happen? Like it says in verse, uh, verse number 12. Where did it come from? Where did all this... Where did? Why do we do this? Why do you have something different? What's different about you that I don't have? And God continues and says, Who hath told it from ancient times? Have I not... Uh, have not I the Lord... And there's no God like me. They were in a land where there was a pantheon, multiple pantheons, gods of the Babylonians, gods of the Assyrians, scattered throughout, uh, even gods of the Egyptians, because the empire reached down into Egypt. They, they, they got to see a whole bunch of people worshiping a whole bunch of different gods. And he said, hey, let them know, let them be curious that there's nothing like me. A just God. Not just an angry God. Not a God that all he is is you have to do this or else I'm going to be mad at you. But a just God. I did, uh, in, in college I did a, uh, we had a class called, for, called English Composition. I had it with Miss Mason. And for that class, I had to. We, uh, the big project that we had was to write a, a research paper, and they gave us a, a list of topics to choose from. But I wanted to be different. I wanted to choose something a bit more spiritual. So when we were given, all right, what are you gonna do? I said, I'm gonna write on the holiness of God applied to man, and about. One day of research, I realized that is too broad of a topic. And so I had to, I had to cut it back down to the anger of God, uh, uh, the holiness of God shown through his anger. And in doing that research, I learned the very nature of God cannot let sin abide. It's just in his nature. Because of his holiness, sin cannot stand in his holiness. So he has to destroy it. That's what being a just God is. 
It doesn't matter who you are. If you have sin, there is a punishment for sin. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter where you came from, whether you came from the East Coast, West Coast. It doesn't matter who you voted for. If you have sin, if you have sin abiding in you, and you're not justified, there's a payment for sin. That's that's what being a just God means. But through my research as well, we see that he's not only a just God, but he's a savior. There's many gods that would be angry if you displease them. I mean, all you have to do is read Greek mythology and you realize there's a lot of gods that you just have to displease them and bad things happen. But no one, none of those gods would be called a savior. So yes, God is a holy God. He is he cannot have sin abide in his presence. So he has to destroy it. There has to be a payment for sin. But he's not just a just God. He is also a savior. He will provide a way out of that payment. He will save us from the uh, from that destruction, from that anger. Verse 22 says, Look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. For I am God, there is none else. I remember, I, th- I think of when Moses, uh, when the children of Israel were murmuring against God, saying, Let us go back to Egypt. We had onions and, and garlic and all this stuff. We had other stuff to eat. And God said, I'm going to punish you for your murmurings. And so he sent poisonous snakes or adders. But, God's, but God told Moses, if you make this brass serpent, put him on a stake and raise him up, anyone who looks at that snake will not die because of those serpents, those poisonous snakes. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must also the Son of Man be lifted up. There was someone who was raised up, lifted on a cross, to pay for our sin. All we have to do is look unto him and be saved. That is the story. Verse 20 in 21, God made all of his people, all of the Israelites, missionaries. Why were they dispersed throughout the... the what, for what purpose could he, God have used all of his people dispersed throughout the Persian Empire? So that they could tell the world around them. Why are we still in this world who are saved? So that we can tell the world around us. So that we can say, hey, be curious about what I have. Which means we need to live curiously. Because we have something that the world desperately needs so that we can say, tell to them, Look unto Jesus and be saved. So I just want to close with this. Are you living a curious life? Now I'm not asking if you're if you're weird. I'm human. I'm a bit weird. I'm like a hewat, I'm a little bit weirder. I'm asking, are you living a way, a specific way, so that the world around you says, hey, why are you so different? Let me give you an example. When I was in college, I worked as a security guard. Uh, we weren't married, I, uh, but I, I had a, a promise ring on my finger. And... Uh, I was doing my rounds going through uh, through the building and I was in a mechanic place and so 
I got to talk with a, a bunch of the mechanics uh, at that place, and they noticed I had this ring on. He's like, and so they asked me, "Hey, are you married?" I'm like, "No, uh, this is actually a promise ring. It means that I promise to keep myself pure until I get married." And there, and <clears throat> I remember one specific guy saying, "Man, I wish I had that kind of lifestyle." Then I wouldn't have all this baby drama. No, but like that—that's—that's where his thought process was going. But I made him curious, just because I had a ring on my finger, and it gave me an open door to share the gospel. There's also another reason why I'm different. Are you living that way? Are you living a way to that the world can ask, "Hey, can I have what you have? I want what you have." What I have isn't working. I need something different. That's what God is telling his people here. God can use God can use even tyrants to point point people to him. But he commands his people to say, "Hey, bring them in, make them curious." Are you doing the same? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would use this message. Lord, if there's anyone here that would say, Brother Caleb, I'm not making anyone curious because I'm curious myself. I don't have Christ, but I want it. If there's someone here tonight, I pray that they would come forward and someone would show them from that Bible how they can know to be how they can be saved. If there's someone here that would say, Brother Caleb, I'm saved, but I'm not making people curious. I'm not living in a way that would make people curious about the gospel, but I want to start living that way. If there was someone here tonight, I pray that you would come forward and get that right with God. Lord, Use this message. I pray that you'd use it for your honor and for your glory. Lord, remove your servant so that your message can shine through. We love you and we pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment. and Let me give you the opportunity to respond.